Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, very good to be back here at, uh, unfortunately, still an empty auditorium. As Pete said, we're starting a new series today on Malachi. It's just a short four-week series, a bit like the book of Malachi itself, just four weeks, uh, four chapters long. It'll take you about 20 minutes to uh, read through the book of Malachi. The, uh, the setting for the, for the book of Malachi, uh, Malachi is recognised as the last of the Old Testament prophets. Um, Israel has been returned from exile for about a hundred years now. The temple has been rebuilt, but the nation of Israel, although returned to their homeland, is still very much under Persian rule. And uh, is the, the book of Malachi precedes what many of us know as the 400 silent years. And I promised Danny I wouldn't say very much about the 400 silent years. I find that period of history to be quite fascinating. But in the 400 silent years, there's 400 years or four centuries between the book of Malachi and the start of the New Testament. And in that time, we have nothing recorded in Scripture of God intervening or God speaking to his people. That doesn't mean that God wasn't at work. It doesn't mean that there, there weren't people who were still following God. Um, there were, and there were families, and we actually do have some um, non-biblical recordings of that period of time, which is one of the things that does make it quite interesting. The book of Malachi is really a series of conversations between God and his people. And a lot of those conversations start off with a question and a response. But the reality is through the book of Malachi, we find that nothing much has changed. The hearts of the people of Israel are still hard. And if you followed the Digging Deeper series that we started earlier this year, you would have seen that there is often, um, as Pete Hill explained to us, there's the narrative and then there's the story. And part of the narrative that runs throughout history the Old Testament and New Testament is God is always wanting his people to follow him. He's always wanting his calling his people to himself. But the people's hearts often remain hard. So the first conversation we find in the book of Malachi starts right in the very first couple of verses. God says to his people, I have always loved you. And that's a great truth and a great promise. And it's a truth and a promise that the children of Israel and that we ourselves should know very well. But the people's response, really? How have you loved us? This wasn't a response out of wanting God to, to articulate and tell the people how he's loved them. It wasn't a response that was a kind response. This was a bad attitude response. This was a response of, of Israel feeling frustrated, let down, caught in a cycle, controlled. It actually sounds a bit similar, doesn't it? For us in, in Victoria, it sounds very much like how we've potentially been feeling these last few months with the COVID restrictions. Not able to do what we want. Not able to go where we want. Not able to have people in our homes. We feel controlled. We feel disrupted. 
We don't feel terribly excited, that's for sure, because our lives have been turned upside down during this time. Some of us feel let down. Some even feel angry or rebellious in terms of breaking the restrictions that we've been asked to follow. So our feelings at this time through COVID can be very, very similar to the feelings of the children of Israel. And, and when we're feeling this way, we really have two options because we have a choice to make in all situations. And we can either be like the children of Israel and have a bad attitude about it, or we can have a choice of actually looking to God in the situation. This week, I, uh, I, I dialed into the uh, Australian Company Director's Essential Director update, something that I wouldn't normally do because I would actually have to go to Melbourne and sit in a, a conference hall to, to do that, and I wouldn't normally do it. But because it was remote, because of COVID, I could actually do it. So I took an hour out of my day to do that. One of the keynote speakers made a very interesting statement which I thought I would share. The statement was this, from a director point of view. It's time to stop looking at our feet and start looking to what's ahead. And I thought, what a great analogy for us as Christians. What a great analogy for us as people of God. That it's time to stop looking at the things around us and being controlled by those things, but to be looking ahead, like what Danny mentioned in his communion message this morning, to look up, to look at God. So I thought that was a wonderful saying to bring this morning. It's time to stop looking at our feet and time to start looking ahead. It reminded me of a chorus that I learnt when I was a young boy in Sunday school, the chorus went like this. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Now that's a debut and it's a one and only. And I've only done it because there's only four people in the room. But the great thing at the end of that chorus is that it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So this morning, I throw out the question to you. In a sense, the flip of what the children of Israel said, accusing God with their bad attitude of, God, what have you really done for us? The question this morning is, over the last few weeks, how has God loved you? How have you seen God's love in your life over these past few weeks? How has God blessed you? You might want to put a chat, a post on the YouTube channel to share with each other. Um, but I will say that if you do that, it, it will be public, it won't be private. But while you're thinking about that, while you're thinking about how has God blessed you over these last few weeks? How, has, how have you seen God's love in your life and around you? I thought I would share <coughs> excuse me, a couple of things. I loved the video last week of the kids reciting Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through God who strengthens me.
I loved it because we got to see our young kids learning a great truth of Scripture. Just like that chorus, something that in tough times, in times ahead, will come back to them. And you know what? If it wasn't for COVID, we wouldn't have got that video. This morning we've had a couple of technical difficulties and uh, we can't do the live chat the, and the live stream. Well, you know what? I want to say this. I asked April earlier how old she was. April's 20. April is the one who has pulled all of this together this morning. She's in charge. She's in control. And the thing I think when I see those, that video last week with those young kids reciting a verse of scripture is that in less than 10 years, those kids will be our leaders. Those kids will be leading programs. Those kids will be leading activities. And that's why it is so important. Because some of those kids will go on and be like April and Ruan this morning up the back here, controlling our service, doing things I can't do. And uh, April, if it helps, we went, to, uh, we went to publish our final agenda of the council four-year term on Friday afternoon. And there was a server issue up in Queensland that prevented us getting that agenda published on time to the public. There were some significant reports that people were waiting to read. And uh, it was a stressful time, just like your time this morning. And what I want to say to people is that when we had our technical difficulties this morning, there was no blow up from April there was no swearing. There was no massive reaction. She just got on and did what needed to be done. So thank you to April. The second thing I wanted to say about God showing love over the last few weeks is that a couple of weeks ago, my oldest son announced his engagement to a lovely lady called Jacinta. And we are absolutely thrilled and excited as parents to see these two young people who love God and have a heart for God wanting to spend the rest of their lives together. And although they're in stage four and we're out here and we can't see them, it doesn't change the fact that we are really excited for them. And we're really looking forward to when we can see them and throw our arms around them and express in person our excitement and our pleasure at the announcement that they made. So hopefully you've been able to think about a few things and can share with each other today and through the week some of the ways in which God has shown love to you over these past few weeks. The second conversation starts to get a bit more serious in, in Malachi, if that one's not serious enough. And I've called this Reset Yourself. The convo starts like this. God speaking says, A son honours his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honour and respect I deserve? And then the people respond, and for those who know scripture well, you're a bit gobsmacked by this response. How have we ever shown contempt for your name? How have we ever shown contempt for your name? I want to read to you 
a few of the verses out of Malachi because I've got some points coming up and I thought, gee, if I don't actually read this passage, you might not believe me when we put those points up. So I'm going to pick it up and I've got a slide up here with, with some of this on. But I'm going to pick it up around verse 8. Maybe verse 7. You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favour at all? But you dishonour my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asks the Lord. And I just want to read out to you out of another translation. But before I do, it's PRD time in my organisation for those who aren't familiar with the term PRD, it stands for Performance Review and Development. And it's something that we do annually and we review it every six months. And I had my PRD the week before last. It was rather daunting because my PRD was with the CEO this year. It's okay, I've still got a job. The the little bit in verse 8 there where it said try giving gifts like that to your boss how far do you think it will get you reminded me very much of this whole process if you like of PRDs the message actually records verses 7 and 8 this way and when I say the message I'm referring to the message translation when you say the altar of God is not important anymore Worship of God is no longer a priority. That's defiling. And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? And that's where it goes on to say, try giving gifts like that to your boss and see how far it will get you. And if you just pull some of the points out of those verses that we've read, this is very much like a PRD from God to the people of Israel. And there's some pretty tough love in here. You have shown contempt for my name. You offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship. Essentially, you're bringing worthless worship to me. When you bring that kind of offering or that kind of worship, why should I show any favour to you? You profane me when you say worship is not important, meaning you slander me meaning my name means nothing to you. You turn up your noses at my commands. And when you do, do offer me something, 
It's a hand-me-down or broken or useless or stolen. And the PRD ends, in a sense, with these words. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Essentially, should I continue to employ you? Should I continue to have a relationship with you? It's a pretty sobering PRD. I wouldn't like it to be mine. I wouldn't like it to be one of my staff either and be the one having to give it. And this made me think about what would it be like if each of us had a performance review from God over the past year. What would our performance review from God look like? Now the people in HR tell me that performance reviews are supposed to be wonderful things, supposed to be full of encouragement and positiveness and positivity and uh, supposed to help you set your goals for the year ahead and get you very excited. So I better turn from some of that stuff that we've just looked at and, and talk about why it might be good to have a PRD from God. What might your PRD look like? What have you done in the last 12 months that you're proud of in your walk and relationship with God? I brought an example today for you of one that I'm proud of in the last 12 months. I really enjoyed the Proverbs series last year. I got a lot out of that series. I really liked it. And I was browsing online around Christmas time, so I suppose around this time of year, if it's only 74 days away, although I'm never that organised. And I found this devotional. It's by Timothy and Kathy Keller, and it's called The Way of Wisdom. And I don't know whether you can see that on the screen or not, but it's a devotional from the book of Proverbs. Now, why I'm proud of this is, A, because I actually clicked the button and bought it, and B, because I'm terrible at being consistent with devotions. Absolutely terrible. And I have a very, very bad track record in that particular aspect. Well, I bought this book and I read the foreword and, it's very and I would say it's important that you read forwards of books. Some of them are really interesting. Some of them set the tone for the book. And I read the foreword of this book and there was a couple of things in it that really grabbed me. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to commit to reading the daily devotions in this book. And today's October the 11th and that's where I'm up to. And I'm really proud of that achievement so far. And about 90% of the devotions in this book are, I've highlighted and got, got highlighting and notes over them. So you'll have to buy your own copy because mine would be no good to you. A PRD also includes what things would you like to improve? What can you challenge yourself to do over the next 12 months? You know, I'm challenged by how much time I spend in my work. But one of the things I'm challenged about that time is that for that whole time, when I start work, I just get in a zone and I just work and I shut the world off and it's like it doesn't exist. I forget that there might be a phone call I need to make to organise something or do something for the family. 
I forget that there's even a world of events going on around me. And Friday was an example of that. I started work at 8 a.m. I finished work at 7 p.m. I had 20 minutes for lunch. I didn't even sit down for lunch. I stood up and I ate and I drank and then I went back to work. And that was my day. And I'm really challenged because I'm in that zone five days a week and when I'm in that zone, God's not there for me. As in God's there, but I'm not there with God. And I'm really challenged that over the next period of time, I'd like to start turning that around so that while I'm working, I actually do have a focus and a, and a thought about God and God being involved in my work with me. And maybe stopping sometimes to pray about some of the challenges and the situations that I'm confronting. And just seeking God's guidance in what I'm doing. So that's one of the challenges that uh, is very much on my mind. The third point this morning is about resetting actions. Verse 10 is a really sobering verse. Why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion with this silly, empty-headed worship. I am not pleased and I don't want any more of this so-called worship God really wanted his people to change their actions to change their approach and it's a very strong message to me in this chapter of Malachi that God wants us to bring our best. God doesn't want our seconds. God doesn't want our second best. God wants us to bring our best. And I've popped a couple of verses up there for you that carry that theme into the New Testament. One from Hebrews about laying off, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And running with endurance the race that God has set before us. And another well-known one from Philippians 3.14, just before the, the kids' memory verse of last week. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This theme of being an athlete, this theme of, of fighting is something that you will find through the Bible because in resetting your actions you actually have to do something a bit like that first point of resetting your focus you have to make a choice now I've played a fair bit of sport in my time and been involved in sport from a playing and coaching perspective it takes action it takes an intent it takes turning up at training to get fitter to perfect your technique, to learn your set plays, to learn how to interact with your teammates and those around you. So it takes action. It takes commitment. It takes intention. I tend to think we live in a very permissive culture where it's all right to bring second best, 
It's all right to cut corners. It's all right to pull a sickie. It's all right to maybe rip someone off to get a better deal. But when I read this chapter of Malachi, I see that none of those things are all right. And I see that what God wants is God wants our best. God wants our best worship, our best attitude, our best effort. He wants the best of us, the best of ourselves. He doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want us going through the motions or through the routine. And verse 14 finishes off with, I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And isn't that a great reason alone for bringing our best to God? Because our God is a great king. Our God is to be feared, respected, revered, loved among the nations. Our recent series on perspective and flourish really lead, I believe, into this series of reset. Because if we have the right perspective and if we want to flourish, then we need to reset. That doesn't mean it's a great big thing. It can be small things. It can be setting your alarm clock 10 minutes earlier of a morning. It can be spending an extra five minutes in prayer. It can be inviting somebody over. As we saw right at the beginning of this chapter, God has always shown his love to us. God wants to bless us. And so the question I leave you this morning is will you reset your focus Will you reset yourself? Will you reset your actions and bring your best to God? Thank you.